Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I'm going to go ahead and get started. Many of you know, and for some of you who don't, I spent, up until about a month ago, 21 years in a career as a pilot. So now if you didn't know that, you do. The rest of you are like, would you quit talking about it? Um, <laughs> but recently, not real long ago, I was flying a trip, uh, one of my last trips, um, and one of the passengers on this trip was a guy that I've had the opportunity to get to know. Uh, he and I worked together actually on uh, the, the board of, uh, that essentially was how Evan and I got connected um, and uh, he showed up, so we exchanged pleasantries. He was like, oh, it's great to see you, and, you know, we, we chatted for a minute, and then uh, he, said, he said, you know, I was having this conversation last week with my boss, and I said, whenever I fly, I always want Derek to be my pilot, and, you know, of course, I'm like, that's right, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> that's right. I am. But I, I was like, well, the, his boss was like, well, why, why do you always want Derek to be your pilot? And what he said to his boss was, well, you know, he's a pastor, so if anything goes wrong, he has this really good connection with God, and we're probably going to be okay. And some of you are like, yes, that's why I would want you to be my pilot too, right? It betrays this idea that I have seen a lot, that we all sort of, and maybe not all of us, but a lot of us sort of go through this idea that because I'm a pastor... Somehow, my connection with God must be better than yours. And so, if somebody's going to pray for me, I'd rather have him do it because he probably has a better connection. And what gets betrayed here is this idea that, that, that people feel like, man, my prayer life isn't really what I really wish it would be. The connection I have with God is not what I wish it would be. And the thought is, well, must be that because you're a pastor, you have a better connection. And maybe some of us would think that, right? That you would just be like, yeah, that must be true. Um, what I can say in honesty is that I have grown significantly in my understanding of prayer. And I have learned a lot about who I am and who God is and what prayer looks like. And yet at the same time, I wrestle with prayer. I struggle with prayer. Every answer I get comes with two more questions. Have you ever felt that way? Like every time I make a discovery about who God is and when I pray, comes with, but yeah, but what does that mean for this? And if I'm just completely honest with you, I wrestle with the fact that God heals some people and not others. I can't tell you why that happens. And it doesn't make sense and it doesn't make it easier when it doesn't happen. I wrestle with the fact, like, does my prayer matter? Does it matter if I just lump my prayer into the mix with everyone else's prayer? Does that matter? I, I wrestle with all of these things. I wrestle with why sometimes God seems so close when I'm praying, and sometimes my prayers just feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. Do you feel that way? Like, does it, I'm going to pray, but does it matter if I do? And so I turn to authors and I read books on stuff because, of course, that's what I do. And one of the things that I've discovered doesn't really 
help a lot is that every book that I've ever read about prayer, the author at some point makes some statement like this. I'm not really a qualified person to write this book because I really don't know that much. If you don't, you're writing the book. I have, like, on my desk right now, I have three different books. All of them are named Prayer by three different authors. And they all, at some level, say, I don't really feel qualified to write this book. Don't we all sort of feel like we struggle with prayer? It's this thing that we sort of know is important. We know it's critical to our lives with Jesus. It's really, really hard, though, to have what we would consider an effective or satisfying prayer life. Can you identify with that? That this is like a challenging thing. It's like, I don't really get it. I'm not really sure how it works. And I think we would all probably, or at least most of us, would say that we think prayer is essential to having a thriving life with Jesus. Right? Like, we know that it's important, and yet we struggle with its effectiveness. We struggle with how to do it, and we struggle with what that looks like. And I think a lot of us would say, I really wish I had a deeper prayer life. I'm not sure how to do that, but I really wish I had a deeper prayer life. I really wish God met me more in prayer. We've been in this series for a number of weeks called Hungry for God. And what I've told you uh, several times in this series is that hunger for God doesn't work the way hunger for food does, right? Y'all are going to go away from here and you're going to go have lunch because you're hungry. And when you eat your big lunch, you will no longer be hungry, right? Until dinner time or whatever. And that's the way hunger for food works. You eat food and you're satisfied. You're no longer hungry. And yet hunger for God works the opposite, You taste and see that the Lord is good and you develop a hunger for more of God. The way hunger for God grows is that you taste of the fruit of God. That you get an experience of God that drives you for more of God. That the way we grow in hunger for God is that we get a taste of who God is. And so because that's true, I probably don't need to convince you that if you had a deeper prayer life, you would probably have a greater hunger for God, right? Makes sense. I get a taste of God. I have a deeper prayer life. I probably would be hungrier for God. And yet we've all already said that it's a struggle for us to have a satisfying prayer life. Today I want to talk about beginning to have a deeper prayer life. Beginning. I mean, it would be really impossible to talk. I have three books back there uh, that, like I said, I've been reading on prayer, it would be impossible to talk about all the things about prayer today. But I think what would be most helpful for us is how could we begin to have a deeper prayer life? How could we do that? And so I want to, what I want to, this is the point I want to get across today. Ready? You can have a prayer life that grows your hunger for God. It's not, it's not a professional thing. It's not like, well, if I get a job as a pastor, then I'll have a, a prayer life that can grow my hunger. You can have a prayer life that grows your hunger for God. That's the point I want to make today. That's what I want you to take away. I'm calling today's message Deeper Intimacy with God. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at Psalm 46. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, I do welcome you here. And, Lord, we've seen you moving. And God, as we dive into this thing about prayer and all of us feel unqualified, 
And yet we can lay hold of the fact that you desire intimacy with us. And so in whatever ways that we struggle as we take steps toward you, Lord, you meet us. And so I pray, God, that you would meet us today. I pray that there would be a a sense of your nearness. God, I pray for comfort as we feel afflicted. I pray that you would lift up those who are downcast. Would you give us insight into your heart, God? Would you enable me to speak as I should, put power on this message in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. We're going to look at Psalm 46. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't, there's Bibles on both sides. You can feel free to grab one. Um, If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take it home, keep it as yours, mark it up, read it as your own personal Bible. Before we begin this scripture, as you're turning there, we should probably land on a common definition of prayer, don't you think? I think, yeah, thanks. You got it, man. Um, Because a lot of us have a lot of thoughts about prayer, right? Like sometimes when we think about prayer, if if you were to say, well, this is what I think prayer is. Prayer is when I lay out my litany of requests before God, right? It's all the things that I say to God. That's prayer. It's what I stand up and I tell God all of the thoughts that I have, all the problems I have, all the things that I want him to fix. That's prayer. And certainly there is, is some of that, right? You know, we need healing. We need provision. And God, would you give it to us? And certainly there is part of that. But if all you think about prayer is that prayer is you talking to God, it becomes really hard to understand passages like where Paul says, pray without ceasing. Have you ever read that? That's in the Bible. Pray without ceasing. Have you ever thought about talk? I mean, have you ever th- <laughs> You know people who can talk a lot, right? Maybe you are people who can talk a lot. Have you ever thought about talking to God without ceasing? Have you ever thought about that? It's like, well, hold on. It's got to be more than that. But biblically, prayer is more than just talking to God. Prayer is also hearing from God. That biblically speaking, God talks to us, and it's at least as important as what we say to God. That what God speaks, to, it's why we teach people to hear from God, because we believe it's really essential to hear what God has to say. You know, we can meander on about our own thoughts, and I think God is interested to hear what we have to say, but don't you think a word from the Lord is worth way more than a thousand words from us? That there's something biblically about hearing from God, but even that doesn't capture the whole of it. You guys know who Mother Teresa was? Mother Teresa was, uh, did a lot of work in, with the poorest of the poor in India. They, they would go through the trash heaps in India every day and find the babies that had been discarded, and they would take them and care for them. And so Mother Teresa was being interviewed by Dan Rather about her prayer life, and he asked her, he said, well, when you pray, what do you say to God? And Mother Teresa said, I don't say anything. I listen. And he said, well, okay. When God speaks to you, what does he say? And Mother Teresa said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And she said, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. There's something about prayer that goes beyond talking. There's something about prayer that goes beyond what we say and what God says. says. There's, There's a being with God. Any of you who are happily married, or married at all, right? (laughs) 
would, would say there are times when in your relationship, you talk and they listen, and then they talk and you listen, but there's something relationally powerful about just being together, isn't there? That there doesn't have to be an agenda. And the same is true about prayer. And so there's all of these things. And so here's the, the working definition I want to propose today as our definition for prayer. Prayer is the ongoing relational connection we have with God. Prayer is the ongoing relational connection we have with God. Certainly some of you would be able to come up with a better definition. And we can talk about that next week in the How to Pray for People class when you come. Um, but this will suit us for today, and it captures the fact that they're speaking from both sides, and yet there's also a being with one another, that prayer is a relational term. It's the relationship, the ongoing relational connection we have with God. What I want to do with the rest of our time uh, is to give us a beginning step of this deeper relational connection that we call prayer, we're going to look at Psalm 46. And I'm going to only really spend time on one verse. But because part of what I see my responsibility in standing up here and teaching uh, is, is to teach all of us how to read the Bible well, we're not going to just read one verse because that's an irresponsible way to read Scripture. We're going to read all of Psalm 46 to put it in its actual context because we don't just cherry-pick verses. We don't, you know, it's not like fortune cookie Bible, right? Pop it open, get a line. Right? We don't do that. That's irresponsible. That's how we end up with crazy ideas about what Scripture says. So we're going to read all of 46, and then we're going to key in on verse 10, okay? Psalm 46, here's what we read. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This is verse 10 where we're going to land. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Some of you might recognize uh, and maybe make the connection. How many of you know the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Love it. Some real traditional, you know, church folk. Martin Luther wrote that, that hymn from this, from this, uh, this psalm. Um, let me orient you to the passage just a little bit. It's unclear what the, the danger is, but it's clear that Israel is facing some danger in this psalm. It's clear that there's some threat to Israel, but it's not real clear as to what the threat is. But some scholars say that it's the, the uh, assault on Jerusalem from Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, that's a mouthful, that is referred to in 1 Kings. In any event, the psalm is broken down into three sections. And if you read this in the NIV, it may not be like, immediately evident that it's broken down into three sections. 
The NIV footnotes three words. It's the same word three times. If you're reading in a different translation, you will have this little word, selah, right? How many of you are reading it in a different translation? You have that in your Bible. You get to the end of verse 3 and it says, selah. You get to the end of verse 7, selah. You get to the end of the verse 11, selah. It breaks it down into three sections. The Hebrew translation of that is a little bit complicated. It means either praise or pause. And scholars have a hard time figuring out exactly what its function was musically in the Psalms. But that if you place those at verse 3, verse 7, and verse 11, you see that it breaks it down into three sections. The first two sections represent threats that Israel is facing. And the third is the response of the Lord. So the whole passage, if you, if you look, it's sort of bookended. At the top, it talks about, uh, uh, let's see, what's the word? God is our refuge, right? It talks about God as a refuge. And in verse 11, it says, uh, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So the essence of this passage is contained within uh, God being a safe place that we can hide. That's the point of this whole passage. And so in that, in that framework, essentially, they lay out two prayer requests. The first, the first section is about threats of nature. It talks about earthquakes and mountains falling. The second section is threats from other nations. And these are the prayer requests of Israel to God. And you could throw your own in there, right? Like we could all find our own prayer requests from which we need God to to be our hiding place, right? Have you paid for gas lately? Has that ruined your budget? Like, I mean, I'm sitting here trying to figure out if I can get a scooter, you know? A lot of us might be struggling with our, our financial situation because everything costs more. Or, God, we're struggling with the war in Ukraine and we don't really know what to do to make sense of all the things that we're seeing on the news. We don't really have any way to make sense of that. Or, God, we're really struggling in our relationships or in our marriage. My marriage is just on the rocks. It's really not going well. God, I need you to come. Or maybe it's, you know, some of us with kids. God, I need you to break into my kids because they're teenagers and I don't know what to do. Some of you can relate. God, I need you to break in and I need you to rescue my kids. Some of you have kids who are far from Jesus. God, I need you to come. God, we're struggling with addiction. I just feel stuck and God, I need you to save me. God, we had this diagnosis and it seems terminal. I need you to save me. God, my mental health is just not what I want it to be. My emotional health is not what I want it to be. God, I need you to save me. And all of these things, maybe other things for you, are giants that we face, right? They're, they're standing out there, and, and they're, they're making their assaults on our lives. And perhaps we throw out a prayer and ask God to do something. But for many of us, it just seems like it's always going to be this way. This just seems insurmountable, and God, does it really even matter if I pray? Do you even hear what I say? Are you going to do anything about this? And if we're completely honest, I would imagine many of us wish we had some sort of deep prayer life where we could just sort of pull a lever and make God do what we wanted him to do. Don't we? Like we maybe wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say that we are in control of God. But 
Don't we sort of have that wish at times? We just face these things and we're like, I wish I could just make God do what I wanted him to do. We struggle. But in verse 8, everything turns towards God's response. And in verse 10, God speaks. The only verse in this whole passage where God says anything is verse 10. And that's where we're going to camp the rest of our time today. Look again at verse 10. It says, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. If you want to begin to have a deeper prayer life, one that has the ability to grow your hunger for God, one that has the ability to give you to, to, to fa- empower you to face the struggles that, that you're facing, to face the giants that you're facing, this is the verse you begin with. Be still and know that I am God. Let's take it a phrase at a time, okay? Be still. One of the things I've learned about human beings is that as soon as something produces anxiety in us, we become a flurry of activity, don't we? Like, and some of you are like, I don't know that. You do. Ask the people who love you how they know you're anxious. And they'll say, oh, you, whatever. We become a flurry of activity because deep down, we believe that fixing the problems depends on us. It's all up to us. And so maybe you're like me. The way I become a flurry of activity is my brain just starts to spin right? I'm thinking of all, some of you are laughing. Yeah, you're just like me. (laughs) Start thinking of all the possibilities and what are all the eventualities. And if it goes this way, what am I going to say? If it goes this way, you guys like wander around the bathroom explaining yourself to yourself, right? Am I the only one? No, right? You're like walking around that part of your prayer walk as you saying, this is what I'll say if he says this, right? (laughs) Yeah, Right? We become this sort of flurry of activity in our mind trying to like fix every possible problem and, and solve every eventual problem. Right, We're going to worry our way to peace, aren't we? We're going to worry our way to peace. We just think if we worry enough, then we'll have peace. Some of you, that's not your way. Some of you, you just sort of spring into action, right? And you're going to do everything you can think to do to make yourself feel okay. Right? Some of you are smiling. Some of, you're just going to do everything you know to do to try to control the circumstances around you so that you feel okay. You're going to do all the things you know to do. You're going to do all the things that you know someone else should be doing. You're going to do all the things that nobody should be doing, right? And this is going to, you're just trying to like manhandle your circumstances until you just feel okay, right? I'm going to work my way to peace. We're going we're to get there. I'm going to make it all. Some of you become jerks. Like, can he say that? Yeah, I just did. Some of us become jerks, don't we? We begin to try to control other people. And so we become angry and we yell at people and we manipulate people and we try to control people. And we're like, I'll make sure I say it this way because then they have to do this thing, which is what I want them to do anyway, right? All these things that we become this flurry of activity to try to manage the anxiety that we feel so that we'll be okay, right? And into this, God says, Be still. Be still. You know, one of the things that all of this stuff betrays is that we don't actually think God will take care of it. We don't actually believe God's going to take care of it. 
So we have to take care of it for ourselves. Be still. And for many of us, we can't really even, um, we can't even really get past all of that. We, we've, <laughs> in the in the face of all of the things that we experience, we just fall into these repetitive traps of anxiety and working ourselves to death. You see, if we want a more deep, intimate prayer life with God, one of the first things we have to learn to do is be still. I, let me translate this. This is the Hebrew translation. Be still means stop. <laughs> it's, I love it whenever Hebrew works the way I want it to. Be still means stop doing things. Stop trying to fix it yourself. Stop. Be still. There's this struggle that we find. We, we don't know how to do that. We don't really actually believe that if we stop, that God will take care of us. And for so many of us, it may not even be anxiety that's doing it. It may just be the fact that we work 50 to 60 hour weeks we spend on average five to six hours a day on our phone looking at who knows what, right? At the end of the day, you wonder what happened to those five to six hours. Do you get the, like, the weekly update of shame from your iPhone that tells you how much time you've wasted of your life that you'll never get back? All the while, Netflix is playing in the background. You don't even have any idea what's going on on Downton Abbey or whatever it is you're watching these days, right? But it's just playing in the background, and our lives are so noisy so noisy. And we go, why don't I have the kind of prayer life that I want? Why don't I have deep intimacy with Jesus? And for so many of us, it's because our lives are so loud. There's this really cool story. First Kings 19, Elijah had kind of run off and he's like, nobody else cares about you, God. I'm the only one. I'm all alone. I'm going to die and then nobody else is going to follow you. So he runs off sort of despairingly, and while he's away, God says, well, I'm going to pass by. I want you to see me. I want you to pass. I'm going to pass by. In verse 11, it says this, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled a cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. The Lord was not in all the chaos. The Lord was in the whisper. Part of the reason that we have so much trouble hearing God's voice and discerning his presence is because our lives are so chaotic and so loud that we miss the whisper. That God shows up in a whisper. Almost every time that I've ever sensed God's presence or heard God's voice, you could bypass it. You could miss it. it like, it's sort of this fleeting like breath. And you could just miss it. And part of the reason that we don't have the deep prayer life, the intimacy with God that we want is because our lives are so noisy. They're so busy. They're so chaotic. And we have great need of God in the big things, don't we? You get that diagnosis, cancer. And you need God right then and there. And he feels so far away. To be sure, he's there. 
but you've not trained yourself to hear him or to sense his presence. You know, we get this big, like, it's terminal and there's nothing we can do. Your job is gone. You don't have any money left and the debt collectors are calling. And you need his presence and you desperately want to hear from him. And yet we've not trained ourselves to hear his voice in the whisper. You can't have a deep life with God without some sort of stillness. That you be still. That's why the practices of silence and solitude are so important to your life with God. It's intentionally carving out space where you're not going to do anything else but bring the whole you in front of the whole God and allow him to see you for all that you are. We don't bring our phones. As tempting as just, and as justifiable as it may be, we don't put on worship music. All of these things are distractions. We want to be wholly present to all of who God is. If you don't make a practice of this in the first place, any depth of relationship that you hope to have with God will be dashed. You have to do it. Now, I know none of us are so important that we can't spare five minutes, right? Anybody so important that they can't spare five minutes? I mean, just think about just instead of doing six hours on your phone, do 555. If you've never done silence and solitude before with the Lord, it can be an intimidating practice. Like if you've ever tried to sit silently with the Lord before, your brain just fights against it, doesn't it? All of a sudden, everything you ever forgot to do in your life comes up and becomes really urgent. Those of you who have done this practice know. But what if we started with five minutes? And we just said, you know what? I'm going to start the first five minutes of my day. And I'm going to get in the presence of God in silence and solitude. I'm actually going to be present with God. Listen, if you begin to do this regularly, what you'll find as it grows, five minutes becomes 10 minutes. 10 minutes becomes 20 minutes. 20 minutes of silence with the Lord feels like an eternity if you've never done it before. But when it becomes longer and you actually begin to enjoy being in stillness in the presence of God, it starts to spill out into all the other places. It becomes a way of life such that you can actually be a still person in the chaos of life, which is what you need. You need to be able to hear the voice of the Lord, right? In all of the crazy things that are happening at work and they dropped another project on you and you weren't done with the last one or all the things that are, you know, that come along in your family and all the things that come up. I mean, the summer is going to fill you with lots and lots of options of things to do. There are going to be lots of opportunities for chaos. If you have not developed stillness, you won't have stillness in those spaces, but if you develop a practice, what you'll find is that you live a life of stillness, that even though you're surrounded with chaos, you can find stillness. I love to be in places because I can then sit with people who are deeply hurting and grieving, and I don't feel a need to produce anything. I can be present because I've cultivated a life of stillness. I can be present in the most stressful situations of life because I've cultivated a life of stillness. I think if you look at Jesus, he was never in a hurry. He was never 
like chasing things down. You never see Jesus going, oh man, I forgot all the things, and, right? Jesus walks in this life of stillness. Be still. Be still. Another way, if you haven't begun this, another way you can practice stillness is as soon as you start to notice that flurry of activity that is uniquely your own, you know when your brain starts spinning and you start doing all the things and you're mean to everybody around you? When you notice this, you can go, just take a, make a practice. Be still. Say it out loud. Be still. My brain is spinning. I, I mean, I did this last night. My brain is spinning. I can't get to sleep. I'm thinking about all these things. Be still. We all have that stuff happen. Anytime you find yourself, it it would remind you of this verse, that this is the way we begin with the relationship with God. Be still. Stillness creates this container for all the other things that God wants to do in your life. All the really cool things, you guys, like divine appointments, have you heard that terminology? Everybody's like, I don't know, 20 years ago, it's like, we're seeking our divine appointments and all these things, right? All of those things happen because of you've cultivated a container of stillness. God can then meet you in those spaces. If we want to develop a prayer life that grows our hunger for God, the first thing we need to do is quiet our lives. Be still, God says. And secondly, know that I am God. Know that I am God. If you wanted to add something to that line, you could tag on, and I am not. I mean, this gets close to what we talked about last week, but that's really what this is saying, right? Be still and know that I am God and you are not God. Because all of that flurry of activity that we engage in is because at some level we've switched the way things are supposed to work. God is supposed to be God over us and we've flipped it and we've gone, we're going to have to take care of ourselves, right? And I said last week, All of the problems that we find when it comes to hunger for God stem from the fact that God is not in charge of our lives in some area or another. The reason we lack hunger is because we have not allowed God to be in charge. And if you find the areas where you lack hunger, you might discover that there's places where you just have not allowed God to be in charge. If stillness creates the container for God to do things, knowing that he is God puts him as the bounds of the container. That we fit within the container of stillness that God is is around. He's in charge of the container. And at the end of the passage, it says, he will be exalted above all things. Like we said last week, the most important thing is for God to be in charge in all areas, which means we cease to be in charge. For control freaks, this makes us a little uncomfortable. You mean I have to give up control? I thought this Christianity thing was supposed to give me control. No, it's not. You're out of control. That's not, that's not how this works. If we want to grow in hunger for God, it requires we get off the throne of our lives and put God there. That's why this is the beginning of a deeper prayer life. If we stop all of the flurry of activity of our lives in stillness, and then we enter into stillness, we know that God is, uh, we know that he is God involves positioning ourselves rightly in relationship with him. He is God, we are not. I've said that about three times. 
And what the back half of the verse says is that in whatever the situation is, whatever your prayer request is, whatever the giant is, the back half says, God will be exalted. At some level, you enthrone God as king over this situation as well. The way that we practice this is to humble ourselves and exalt God. We're going to talk about worship next week. And I talked about it last week. But it's one of the easiest ways to position yourself to know that he is God. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute. You just said don't put worship music on in my stillness. And now you just said worship. Let me tell you what it looks like in my life. Give you a a lens into the dysfunction that is me. Uh, I begin almost every prayer time with a, a period of silence. And I've sort of done this long enough that I don't do it for a time anymore. I do it for an objective. I sit in silence as long as it takes for me to become aware of the nearness and presence of God. And today, maybe it takes 30 seconds. Tomorrow, it takes 30 minutes. I sit in silence until I'm aware of the nearness and presence of God. And I don't know what that feels like for you. I can describe what it feels like for me if it's helpful. What it feels like for me is if you, if you have somebody that you really love and really enjoy being around and they walk in the room, there's sort of like this sort of like your skin leaps out. You guys know that feeling? Does that make sense? Like you sort of get, I don't know, tingly feels weird to say. But like, like just sort of like I feel glowy. I don't know how else to say it. But I become aware that there's someone else here, right? Like in the worst sense of it, if you're walking around in a dark room and you're afraid someone is there, the similar thing happens, right? Your skin sort of goes like, right? I sit in silence until I become aware that God is present, however long that takes. And as that happens, I begin to worship him. Because worship puts him as king over my life. Maybe that comes a song. Like if you're here in this building through the week, sometimes you'll be like, what is he doing? He's just singing. Abby Smith, the ad- admin here, she, she, I think she's sort of gotten used to it. But I'll just be in my office and then I just start to sing. And the, God puts a song in my heart and I just sing. Be exalted. Sometimes I make up my own songs. Those are the beautiful ones. I love them specially. Because they don't rhyme. So maybe I sing a song that God puts in my heart, but maybe it's not that. Maybe it's speaking words uh, of worship to the Lord. If you have nothing to start with, start with Revelation 4 and 5. There are songs in Revelation 4 and 5. You are high and lifted up. Be exalted above all creation. For because of you, all things are held together. You created all things. Jesus, you are the firstborn from the dead that all might rise in Christ. I just begin to worship him. And something happens when I do that. It creates this sacred space. Do you see how this might happen? Now there's like this space where I am rightly positioned beneath the Lord. He is God above all things. And he is present, and we are in relationship, and now it's in this space that I can go, now, God, I'm really afraid of this. What do you you think about it? God, I don't know what I'm going to do about my finances. 
I'm quite honestly not sure that you're going to provide. Help me in my unbelief. What do you think? God, my kids are so far off the rails and I don't know what to do. My marriage is struggling. What am I going to do? This is the space that you bring all of those things. God, I don't know why you don't heal people. I've prayed for so many people. And one by one, they walk away in disappointment. What gives, man? How come you don't just do the things that you're supposed to do? It's this sacred space where you can bring all of that hurt all of that pain that you invite God to have a dialogue with you about all the things that you feel. God, there's so many people who have need and it's, I'm such a limited person. How are we ever going to care for all these people? God, the racial stuff in our nation is so broken and it feels insurmountable. People are getting shot in grocery stores. What do we do about this? And we bring all of that stuff into this sacred space where we dialogue with the Lord and we just hand it to him. We say, God, what do we want to do with this? And the beautiful thing about that space is he can begin to talk to you about what he sees and about what he's doing. And at the very least, he makes you know that he is God and you are not. He can say, I've got this taken care of. Isn't that the space we want with God anyway? And that that begins to come with us. If you do this enough times, it begins to come with you when you leave your quiet time. The quiet time never really ends. It just sort of comes along with you. And you show up in a family situation that's messed up. And God is like, let's bring that person into this circle. Let's bring that person who's far away. Let's pray for them. And praying for somebody looks like you bringing them into this sacred space with you and the Lord. Where you just say, I don't know what to do with this, but you do. See, I believe God has called us to transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. And I think the way that we do that is that we cultivate such a stillness with the Lord. Such a posture before the Lord that we know he is God and we are not. And we bring all of the world's hurts into that space and we say, God, we don't know what to do with this, but you do. And you begin to do that everywhere you go. Do you know that's how schools, that's how families, that's how workplaces get transformed? Is that all the wrongs, all the hurts, all the pains of those places get taken in by the people who know, love, and follow Jesus. And we say, we don't know what to do with this, but we know that this is part of how you're going to deal with this. It's what we do. It's who we are. We are people who are being transformed, and we're transforming the spaces we inhabit. This is the power of a deep prayer life, and it's something you can cultivate. Nobody else has to do it. You can do it yourself with the Lord. Isn't that something that you want? I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe you don't want that. But what I do know is the people who are living the most interesting lives that I know are people who show up in the most wounded and broken and busted places. And they bring their stillness and they bring their knowledge of God. And they just enfold all the wounding and all the hurt and all the pain of the world that it might be healed. I think that's who God has called us to be. Do we want that?
Do you want that? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.